The scripture reading today comes from Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down before your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of, of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For, through the Lord is, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. There's a there's a Bible reading plan called the lectionary that's designed for churches to use in their worship services. It's kind of neat because it weaves different passages together around a common theme and it helps you to work through all of the Bible. So what we're doing this summer, Jeffrey and I are selecting one of the uh, readings from that plan and we're preaching on it every, every week. So that's why we're at this psalm. Let me pray and, and we'll look into Psalm 138. Father, we thank you for your promise that you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so right now we ask that you will give the Holy Spirit to us, that you will pour him out upon us as we look to the word that he inspired so that the voice we hear most deeply today would not be mine. It would be your voice. In his, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Psalm 138 is a worship song that we're told was written by King David. And to kind of organize my thoughts around this psalm today, I'm going to break them into three sections. Uh, first, I, I would like to try to describe the situation that David was in when he wrote this psalm. Then I want to discuss the way David chose to respond in that situation. And then briefly, I just want to talk about the, raise, the reason David felt empowered to respond that way. So to put that more succinctly, I want to talk about where David was, what David did, and why David did this. All right, so as you look at this psalm first, where, where was King David? Where, where was King David when he wrote Psalm 138? Well, he locates himself for us in verse 1. He tells us where he was. He says that he was, quote, before the gods. He says, before the gods, I sing your praise. Now, what does he mean by the gods? Well, the, the word that is translated gods here, in this, in this context, this, this could have three possible meanings. could mean one of these three things. David could have been referring to... Um, to what the New Testament writers call principalities and powers or, or spiritual authorities, spiritual beings in an unseen realm who, who operate to exert influence over the affairs of this world. 
It might sound strange to, for people to talk that way, but the, 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 the writers of the Bible were convinced, I'm convinced too, that there is a lot more going on in this world than meets the eye. So they, they would talk about spiritual beings, like it's fallen angels that influence life in this world. For example, uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, verse 12, he said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Right? Remember that next time you're on Facebook, the, the enemy is not people, right? He said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So when David says he's before the gods, he may have been talking about those kinds of powers, these mysterious, dark, spiritual powers. Or he could have been referring to the, the cultural expressions of those dark powers, what we would call idols. You, you may know that in the ancient world, people would make idols. They would make carved images or, or statues that, that would represent their deities. And these, these idols were designed to just to embody in a, in a physical, graphic way, embody all of the values, all of the ideals, the, the whole cultural narrative of, of a given society in a way that would spread the influence of the dark powers. So when you read the Bible, you, you'll read the names in, of, of all these different gods gods that had idols that represented them in the, in the ancient Near East. You read about gods like Dagon and Baal and Ashtoreth and Chemosh and, 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 uh, and Molech. And th these were gods that were represented to the people by idols. And it doesn't seem kind of silly. It does to me sometimes. That people would get so worked up over statues, right? But you need to remember that, that these idols held great power over the minds and the imaginations of people back then. I mean, the, the, the gods would promise you wealth and success and, and power and acceptance if you would just go along with everyone else and honor them. And they would threaten you with destruction and shame if you would not. So when David locates himself and says, here's where I live, here's where I am, I am before the gods, he could have been referring to these dark uh, spiritual powers. He could have been talking about idols, just the, the symbolic representations of those powers. Or he could have been talking about kings. Um, sometimes in the Bible, kings are referred to as gods. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. Jeffrey preached from Psalm 82. The, the kings are called gods. And the reason for that is because kings were the heads of complex political systems that had been put into place by human beings to, in, to enforce the practice of cultural idolatry. So you've got these dark powers, they're represented by these physical symbols, and behind them you have these political systems, these kings, that enforce uh, reverence to these things. So I, have, I hope I haven't lost you. But when David says, I just feel like I'm before the gods. Everywhere I go, there they are. That's where, that's where I live, before the gods. He's, he's, he's talking about the fact that he just... He could have been talking about dark spiritual powers. He could have been talking about pervasive cultural symbols. He could, he could have been talking about un, ungodly political structures. And I think when David said he just, his whole life was lived before the gods, I think he was talking about all three because they all work together. I think David was just saying, this is the... 
this is the world I live in. The world I live in, every moment of every day, is influenced by these dark powers, and, and these powers are, are represented by cultural symbols, and, and, and there's this whole political, economic, social system that's put in place to, to enforce this idolatry. I just live, my whole life is lived before the gods. I feel them everywhere I go. I sense their power. I hear their voice. I sense their, their influence. These gods are always telling me what I can say, what I can't say, what I must do, what I shouldn't do. They just, I, 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 they intimidate me. They seduce me. They, they pressure me. You ever feel that way? And, and, and David just said, I live before the gods. And if you ever felt that, you know, you do not, you do not defy the gods. And so that's where King David was when he wrote this, this psalm. He, he just said, I, I live in this world that is dominated by these false deities. Now, you and I live in the same world. Different gods, same world. I mean, how many of you would agree with me that there are false gods in our culture? Just false, that they pressure us the same way. For example, many, many would say that nationalism is a god in our country. A few years ago, when, when, a, when a young athlete who professed to be a follower of Jesus, when, when he chose to kneel for the national anthem rather than stand for it, some people went nuts. And you don't have to approve of what he did. You don't have to agree with it. But would you agree with me that the reaction of some people to that was just over-the-top hatred toward him? And what's weird, weird is many of the people that responded that way, they, listen, they will put up with all kinds of immoral behavior from their favorite celebrities or their political leaders. They can get away with anything, but they just could not tolerate the thought of a young man quietly kneeling instead of standing before the flag. And I would suggest to you that the reason for that is because nationalism is a god in this country. You don't defy the gods. And another god is, is uh, sexual freedom. Have you noticed that in, in many social settings and in our city, um, if you express a, a personal moral conviction that you hold, that's fine. You could be at your workplace in, in the break room eating with uh, some colleagues, and you say, you know, the reason I'm a vegan is because I just feel like it's unethical to eat meat. And no one's offended by that. Even the guy at the table who's right at that moment chewing on a, on a chicken sa sandwich, he doesn't feel like you're attacking him. You've just said that you feel your conviction as he's doing something that's immoral, but that's all, it's all right. You're allowed to have moral convictions. But if you express a moral conviction about human sexual behavior, if you say, just, and even with great, great respect, you say, just, this, is, this is my conviction. I believe that, that God, God has designed sex to be expressed within the covenant of marriage and that, that marriage is designed to be between a man and a woman. If you just express that even respectfully, some people will immediately attack you. You're a hater. You're a bigot. You might be reported to the HR department, right? Why? Because sexual freedom is a god. You don't defy the gods. Pluralism is a god. In the same way, you can hold any religious belief you want to. Aren't you glad we live in a country like that? But if you say that your sincere belief is that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that's stepped over a line, the, the line of pluralism. You don't defy the gods. 
Consumerism. Would you agree with me that consumerism can function as a god in our country? How many of you have ever gone to a shopping mall? Raise your hand, right? Um, have you noticed that if you go to the center atrium of a shopping mall, very often it is constructed to make you feel like you are in a cathedral, these high vaulted ceilings. Why are shopping malls shaped like cathedrals? Because that's sacred space. Guys, Americans don't go to the mall merely to shop. Americans go to the mall to worship the God Jesus called the God of Mammon. Militarism is, is a God in our country. Listen, don't misunderstand me. Countries need to defend themselves. It's not wrong to serve in the, in the armed forces. But the United States of America spends more on military defense than any nation in the history of the world. We spend more on the military than the next seven nations combined. We've budgeted over $680 billion for, for bombs and weapons and military this year alone. Meanwhile, our schools are underfunded, our teachers are underpaid, our students are continually falling behind other nations on, on, on uh, test scores. Our bridges are crumbling. Our, our, our highways are falling apart. Fifth, 16 million people, uh, children, face hunger on a regular basis. And any, any sane person would look at our society and say, what? why? Why are you sacrificing all of this? Healthy children, good schools, safe bridges, just to have more bombs that you don't even need. Why would you make this sacrifice? And we would have to say, because people always sacrifice to their gods. Always. You Listen, so like David, I, I hope probably everyone here mad at me over something today, right? I disrespected your flag, the red, white, and blue flag, the rainbow flag, whatever one it is. But do you see that these, these are symbols that we must not dishonor? Because the society there tells us you don't, what you can say, what you can't say, what you can believe, what you can't believe, where you can go, what you can't go. Do you see that, like David, we just, do you feel that? Do you ever feel the, the intimidation of these things? We live before the gods and what countless men and women have discovered through the centuries that is, is this, if you want to be successful and you want people to like you and you want to be well spoken of by your peers, you do not defy the gods. 1934 in Germany, group of Christian leaders gathered together because they were very concerned over what they saw happening in, in their nation, the rising, uh, growing power of the Nazi party, and they gathered in this place called Bar Men, and they wrote together a, a document. They signed it. It's called the Bar Men Declaration. You can Google it. You read it. It's not very long. And if you read the Bar Men Declaration, it's not political. They don't insult Adolf Hitler. They don't call for an overthrow of the government. They, they, they don't say anything bad about the Nazi party. If you read the document, all, basically all they say is this. They say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And they say, Jesus is our leader. And the German word for leader is Führer. They say, Jesus is our Führer. Listen, from the moment that... that, that 
document. Listen, before the, before the ink was even dried on the Barman Declaration, declaration, every person who signed it immediately had a target on their back. So, some of them were arrested. Some of them were imprisoned. Some of them were exiled. Some of them were killed. Why? Because you don't defy the gods. And that's the world David lived in. It's the world that we live in. It's, it's, it surrounds us everywhere we go. David lived before the gods. Now, second point, what did David do? What did he choose to do in that situation? Let me ask you a question. Did he, did he run and hide? Did he move, run out into the wilderness, form a separatist community, keep his children safe from the influence of, of, of the world around him? Is that what he did? Listen, there might be times when that's, that's appropriate, but there's no mention of that here, is there? Or did David organize politically, start a movement, plan a march, campaign to get the right people on the Supreme Court? Hey, listen, there may be a place for that, but there's no mention of anything like that here. What, what did King David do when he found himself living in a world dominated by false gods? I'll tell you what he did. He engaged, listen, he engaged in the most Countercultural, radically progressive, revolutionary act anyone can ever perform. You know what he did? He worshiped. He worshiped the one true living God. He says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. So what did David do? Surrounded by these dark influences, you know what he did? He just sang. He worshiped God. You'll notice if you look at this psalm, David, listen. Look at this psalm. David either speaks either to the Lord or about the Lord at least 13 times in this psalm. He only mentions the gods once. Why? Because, listen, even though David lived before the gods, David's focus was not on the gods, right? Mm -mm. His focus was on Yahweh. His focus was on the Lord. His, his, his thoughts were on the real king, the real ruler of, of this world. He worshiped God. And I... Listen, I am convinced, have you, have you ever sensed this? I am convinced that when, when people do this, when they gather together just to lift up the name of the one true God, something powerful happens in the spiritual realm. Listen, imagine, imagine that a group of Christians from different backgrounds and different temperaments. They, they, they decide just to set aside all these differences and gather to lift up the name of Jesus. Some, some, some of them are men. Some of them are women. Some of them are old. Some of them are young. Some of them are Democrats. Some are Republicans. Some of them are extroverts. Some of them are introverts. Some of them are immigrants who've moved from another country. Some of them, they were born here. Their parents were born here. Their grandparents were born here. Some of them have white skin. Some of them have brown skin. Some are heterosexual, some have same-sex attraction, but you know, imagine that a group of Christians from different backgrounds, different temperaments, they, they, they decide to set those differences aside and, and they gather and they just lift up the name of Jesus like we're doing right now. You, you know what happens when they do that? 
the gods get very nervous. The false gods start to tremble. They start to shake. They, 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 they begin to crumble. They start to fall. They, I, lo I love Psalm 8. Psalm 8 says something so intriguing to me. Psalm says, 8 says, Out of the lips of infants and babies, you have ordained praise in order to silence the foe and the enemy. What does that mean? The psalm says that when even babies, babies are the weakest among us, right? When even the weakest among us begin to praise God, the enemy's mouth is shut. What about if all of us gather together? We set aside our, our things we disagree about. And we say, you know, one thing we have in common is we're redeemed by the same blood Right? We belong to the same Lord. We know who it is that really runs this world. He's our God. And we lift up the name of Jesus. Man, do you think the enemy could, do you think the enemy could even make a peep? It's just there's something powerful about that. One uh, Christian pastor named John Piper, he said this. He said, Satan hates, Satan hates the songs of God's people. He does his best to keep a church from being a singing church. He does his best to keep you from being a singing person. Satan cannot endure the spiritual songs of the saints. You can fight him with song. Amen? Now, I would add to that. Who am I to add to the words of John Piper, right? But I would add to that. He says, Satan hates the songs of God's people, and I don't think Satan cares if that song is a thousand-year-old hymn or it's the latest words off Chris Tomlin's laptop. I don't think it matters. If, if, if God's people gather together and they sing to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, oh, man, the false gods are so scared. They're so scared. So where was David? Same place you are. He was before the gods. What did David do? Same thing we're doing. He worshiped the living God. Now, very quickly, why? Why, why, did, why did David feel he could do this, even though, even though every voice in the world around him was telling him to shut up, don't you just be scared, toe the line, do what everyone else does, worship the false gods with the rest of the world? Why did he feel so empowered to ignore those voices and lift up the name of his God? Very quickly, several reasons. First, David knew this. He knew that God is in control. Do you know that? He's, he, end of verse 2, he said, You have exalted above all things your name and your word. You know what that means? That means that no matter what happens in this world, God's name will be exalted and God's word will be fulfilled. God is in control. That's one thing David knew. Another thing he knew is that God is faithful. How many of you have ever discovered that God is faithful in your life? That David said, beginning of verse 2, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And that means, listen, whatever, whatever you go through, believer, God will not forget you. God will not forsake you. God will not leave you for a second. God will not take his eyes on you. He will be faithful. David says in verse 7, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. So why does he feel empowered to praise? First, he knows that God is in control. Then he knows that God is faithful. Finally, he knows that God is good. 
How many of you know that God is good? Amen? All the time and all the time. He's good. Listen, I, 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 I don't know how to prove this, but I think that the two main false gods, not just in America, but in every culture, in every century, the two main false gods in this world are money and power, wealth and power. I just, they just, every culture you look at, those are the two things that try to control the lives of men and women and ruin their lives, money and power. And let me tell you something about those two false gods, wealth and power. Those gods, they don't care. What do you mean they don't care? They, listen, they don't care about the poor. They don't care about the immigrant. They don't care about the drug addicted. They don't care about the mentally ill. They don't care about sexual outsiders. They don't care about people in prison. They don't care about single mothers. They don't, they don't care about the fatherless child. They don't care about the elderly. They don't care about the infirm. That's, a, that's one thing that's always true about these two false gods. False gods don't care. But the true God, oh man, the real God, the God who made you in his image, the God who loved broken sinners enough to come into this world in the person of his son and die on the cross for them. Listen, let me ask you, does that God care? Oh, he loves us so much. David says in, in verse 6, for though the Lord is on high, he regards. That means he looks at with eyes of love and with hands of care. God regards whom? The rich, the powerful, the successful, the famous, no. The Lord regards lowly, broken people like me, like you. And he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. He's good. So let's keep worshiping him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, right now in, in spiritual agreement, as people redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, We forget about all the gods of the world around us, and together we lift up the name, the one name, the only name that is exalted above every other name in every age, in every corner of the world. We lift up the name of the King, Jesus, your Son. We worship and exalt him, and as we do this, we realize that he is powerfully working in our life to show uh, his, his, his sovereign uh, control his ongoing faithfulness and to show us your love. And for that, we give you praise. Amen. Amen.